This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Linda Swain is off this week. She is taking a well-deserved vacation. Uh, I'm Richard Duggan, and I'll be in with you today. Uh, and then Brian Callahan takes over for the rest of the week. And we have uh, quite a packed show to get through the day. Um, but, man, what a gorgeous uh, couple of days we've had. Hey, not quite as warm today as a lot of people would have liked it, especially considering the drop-off uh, here in the metro region. I mean, yesterday it was, what? close on 25 30 degrees all weekend it was absolutely beautiful now down to i think the high of 11 today and even more so frost uh later tonight so not quite what people have in mind as we head into uh summer but things should start to rebound as the week progresses and we're actually going to speak uh with the gander weather office coming up in a little bit here on the show but first off, uh, we're going to go to this story now. And uh, the eyes of the world were on St. John's and in the Atlantic last week as the uh, search for the Titan submersible unfolded in the Atlantic Ocean. And of course, a very tragic end uh, to that story. Well, uh, the world is still reeling in terms of coming to terms with the loss of the Titan. Uh, the resulting search effort, however, is raising some questions from Merv Wiseman, a local safety advocate and former search and rescue coordinator. I reached him earlier today for his thoughts on the situation. Yeah, of course, I always put a, um, a search and rescue lens on, especially from a coordinator's standpoint. It's, uh, my background is mostly in search and rescue coordination. I had about 20 years of that with the Canadian Coast Guard, 35-year career. Um, and um, I saw an unprecedented uh, um, amount of uh, effort being put in by the search mission coordinator, search mission control out of Boston, of course, to include the involvement of uh, the Canadian Coast Guard and uh, and also the Armed Forces, as well as uh, some involvement with other countries, France and the UK and so on. So uh, just a, an unprecedented effort and really, in my mind, set the bar for the kinds of searches that perhaps we'd like to see in all circumstances. Um, we often see it uh, in a major marine disaster, of course. Uh, nothing new there, a lot of effort. But, uh, you know, for five people involved in this kind of activity, um, it, uh, it it was a lot of effort. But uh, one of the things, uh, probably the thing that really stood out to me was what appeared to be an absence of um, a, a good uh, search and rescue plan, a coherent search and rescue plan that would be ex expected to be in place by the the company involved, and uh, and I, I didn't see that. I I saw, in fact, I I, I sensed a, a lot of. Uh, of anxiety and discomfort uh, coming from the uh, command in Boston about what they could do in the initial stages once they arrived on scene. A lot of uncertainty, and that may relate in large part to the fact that there were so many and so much diverse resources sent because no one really knew what they could do when they got there. Uh, certainly the Canadian Coast Guard uh, ships that were deployed really went with the intent of a surface search in case something floated to the surface. But I didn't see uh, any great plan as to what the company would do 
uh, if uh, an emergency occurred. Um, you know, the uh, Canadian Coast Guard and the naval, uh, Canadian naval uh, ship uh, actually went with uh, decompression um, capacity, and it surprised me that the platform on site wouldn't, at the very least, at the very minimum, have decompression capacity for this kind of a, a diving, any kind of a diving operation, quite frankly. Uh, so that wasn't there. Um, certainly in terms of um, the matrix of alerting and uh, the process of alerting, the protocols around it, uh, this incident took place uh, early in the morning on Sunday morning. And the command in Boston says that it received its first call at 5.40 p.m. later that day, quite a, a lapse in time. And, of course, we all know that early searches, early detection is associated with with early searches. Um, and I have to question, you know, whether or not uh, there were uh, safety redundancies, safety features built into a plan, such as having a, a vehicle on end, uh, an ROV, for example, who could do under, which could do underwater searches if it was deployed from the uh, the unit that was on end in, in support. We all came to learn that it was really the ROV, which was on man, that was sent down by the Horizon Arctic that ultimately uh, discovered and under, made us all understand what exactly happened when they found the debris field. Um, all of that uh, probably could have been done very early stages, initial stages, um, had the right uh, safety protocols and safety equipment uh, being on hand, uh, even from the point of view of doing uh, surface searches, you know, a limited amount of searches, certainly in a confined area, uh, could be done by, uh, uh, you know, the uh, other kinds of technologies that we have from, from the air. That uh, that might be uh, that might be called into, into into operation. Drone technology, for example, um, it's not far-fetched to see that some limited uh, uh, search could have been done to see is there any surface uh, debris, things like, things of that sort. Uh, so yeah, and there's there's another there's there's a list that goes on. There's no question the idea of a coherent uh, contingency plan for an operation uh, of this magnitude where things could uh, easily go wrong and of course the expectation that uh, that they would add this plan would be there and in fact I believe the Transport Safety Board will focus a lot of its attention on this particular plan uh, as is required by a lot of commercial activities um, mm -hmm. that's operating you know on the ICs we look at supply vessels uh, that's in operation with uh, with the drill rigs, the drilling platforms and so on um, you know ferries, uh, large ferries, passenger vessels and, and any vessel is required really to have a contingency plan, a search and rescue contingency plan, and in a lot of cases, not only have a written plan, but have it well uh, exercised and ready for operation, exercised by simulation, uh, tabletop or virtual, or even live in collaboration with uh, search and rescue uh, agencies that's required to do search and rescue. So, I, I you know, th th there appeared to be an absence of, of all of that, and really that's been my underlying observation and, and questions around that. So do you think that this points to the need for stricter regulations or changes to the regulations to to require to have those uh, those sorts of plans in place or are there any sorts sort of reg, uh, regulatory changes that need to happen do you think? 
I can't point you to the exact uh, regulations, but my understanding is that there are regulatory requirements in place uh, now, and uh, maybe it's an issue of enforcement. Um, I think it was relatively easy to ignore this kind of activity uh, because it happened in international waters on the high seas. And so, you know, the idea being that you could do what you want in in areas and in, in international waters, quite frankly, it's it's not true uh, that there is a responsibility for uh, by the people involved, uh, by the country state that uh, that they would originate from. In this case, if you're looking at the Polar Prince, uh, the rationale for a TSB marine uh, uh, investigation, RCMP investigation, is the fact that it was it's registered in Canada and was involved. Uh, so you know, if uh, if those uh, rules were enforced, uh, did anybody ever ask the question, you know, about those search plans and whether or not it could be in place? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have to leave myself room for some. Some here, I suppose, on on my part, and some judgment on my part that might not be accurate. I, I don't know. I'm, it just just appeared that way to me that it, uh, it there was a serious absence of of all of that. And I think um, as uh, it's been examined and investigated by the Transport Safety Board, uh, they may very well want to look at uh, the responsibility of uh, a governing agencies uh, with that mandate, such as Transport Canada, for example, if it happens in Canada to be a little more diligent when it comes to enforcing those kinds of rules. And, you know, there's always a thin line between uh, the freedom of people to do what they want from an adventure standpoint. But I think that the line got crossed here uh, when people started going out and had to pay for this excursion. Uh, You know, I've been saying that it was a commercial activity dressed up as expedition and adventure uh, th- this is extreme tourism. Uh, in my mind, it's extreme tourism. It's a commercial activity. Um, and uh, so I think that that brings it into, you know, that, that kind of consideration by enforcement agencies and regulatory agencies uh, to get involved. And I suppose the other thing is that uh, the cost of doing this business, uh, the monetary cost, is is extraordinary. Uh, there need to be some accountability for all of that, plus the fact that people involved, uh, the responders, have to put themselves at great risk to get involved with the search and rescue of this nature, uh, or any nature for that matter. And the people involved are usually, you know, if it's aircraft, it's usually low-flying Um and uh another uh, agent another uh, resources are stretched to the limits of endurance lots of time which brings added um uh you know added uh, risk and also in adverse conditions uh, quite frankly although the one with this uh, with the titan and the submersible here the weather was fairly decent considering what it could have been but nevertheless uh when you bring people into play like that uh, yes, it is a complex operation. It can be done. It can be coordinated, but uh, not without risk. Here in Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, as, as you well know, we're no strangers to uh, marine tragedies. Are there any lessons that, that we could take from this in terms of how we respond to uh, other in, uh, incidents in, in our waters and how we respond to and how we coordinate our search and rescue efforts? 
Yeah, I think there is a lot to learn, to be honest with you. I mean, look, clearly this uh, effort uh, sets the bar in terms of the, the kind of effort that we would put into any search and rescue operations, uh, you know, and so obviously there's going to be a, a quick comparison to any search and rescue efforts um, and that might take place in the future. This will be a point of reference. But it's also become a point of reference for the search and rescue incidents that have uh, played out in the past. I've had a lot of people call me already over the last three or four days saying, hey, look, uh, you know, my, my father was lost and my husband was lost on a fishing vessel that didn't get this kind of effort. Uh, and uh, we were looking for it at the time, more search time, more resources, these kinds of things. But I think, you know, the, the uniqueness of this situation as well, where the um, subsea issues came into play a lot, is something we need to give a lot of consideration to. And I've been saying for a long time that uh, we need to consider, you know, what's happening underwater more often than we do in consideration of uh, of any kind of a maritime accident, um, you know, and, and that brings us to recovery and uh, whether once uh, the issue of lives are, are no longer in play, then what effort do we put into recovering, you know, the vehicle, the craft, uh, the platform involved? And I'd say we should put more effort into it because it really ties us into prevention. And it's prevention is what we want to 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 carry out here. We want to make sure it doesn't happen again in the future. See what we can learn from this. If we don't recover, you know, the platforms involved, in most cases we don't know what went wrong. And if you if you look to the aviation industry, for example, and you will find that there is a standard that far exceeds what happens in a maritime uh, business, uh, whether it's fishing vessels or otherwise. And you'll find that uh, the amount of effort and the costs that going into recovering a crashed aircraft in the ocean, for example, you know, would just go to no bounds to to do that. And 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 that's not a bad idea. It's it's good because they want to piece back together what happened so they can prevent it from happening again in the future. That's the bottom line. And there you have it, Wiseman. Thank you for this. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for calling. And there you have it. That was Merv Wiseman, uh, former search and rescue coordinator, giving his thoughts on the uh, the search and rescue effort for the Titan last week. Uh, we are overdue for a break here on News Talk, but when we come back, uh, we have a very sweet story to tell you about regarding or involving uh, Shania Twain and a baby reveal. We'll have that coming up next. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Well, you've probably heard about it by now. Country music icon Shania Twain shared the stage with a woman from this province over the weekend for a special announcement, a gender reveal. Haley Gregory of Branch was in Toronto on Saturday to catch a show uh, during Shania Twain's Canadian tour. Gregory, who's expecting a baby, could be seen from the crowd holding a sign asking Twain to announce her gender reveal. She was then invited on stage where the Grammy award-winning musician revealed the news. I reached Gregory a short time ago to talk about the big gender reveal. Coolest baby reveal ever, I think, describes Thank you. it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, it was surprising that it actually happened. So you've had a couple of days removed from this now. Are you still riding high on the emotion? And what are you thinking now looking back on this? Yeah, it's kind of unbelievable, honestly. I went, I seen, an, I got the idea, I seen the TikTok video 
of a fan do the same thing at a Harry Styles concert. And uh, so as much the same as me, made a sign, went to the concert, held it up and just kind of hoped and, to see what would happen. I mean, he took the, took the envelope from the fan or got it passed by security and opened it on stage. So I was kind of thought it would be the same thing. I definitely never expected to be called up on the stage. So it was, it was pretty wild. So now you brought the sign, and obviously you you thought that there was a chance that this could happen, but did you ever in your mind think that it would play out the way that it did? No, I definitely didn't. I really did just think that if, if it was at all going to happen, that she would just take the envelope and open it up on the stage herself, and, and I'd be staying down in the audience with my mom. I, I never imagined in, ever that I would end up on the actual stage myself. So walk us through what was going through your mind when she first noticed the sign A and then B as you're up on stage waiting for all this to happen. Yeah, sure. So a lot of the night she kept coming over to our side of the stage. We were we had really good seats. We were lucky we ended up in the second row. And it kind of seemed like she was probably trying to read my sign. She would come over and she was right in front of us and she was kind of making eye contact and looking in our direction. At least it felt like it. Uh, so we were pretty excited. The people around us were excited as well. And everyone was kind of on pins and needles trying to see if it was going to happen or not. And we were we were a good ways into the concert. I'd say almost an hour and a half or more before she called out that she about the sign. She, she kind of mentioned that uh, we have some fans in the audience tonight with signs. And then she started to make her way back over to to my section. And everybody went wild uh, in the area because they kind of figured what was coming. And she she mentioned that she was finding it hard to see to see the sign and actually read it. And when I did go on stage, she mentioned to me that even as close as we were, it was hard to read the sign. So she she read it again once I got off there. So I may be thinking that people on in her team or there there was the person operating the camera right in front of us. Like maybe it was sort of orchestrated beforehand, and she was let know because she did say she couldn't read it from the stage. So it was pretty interesting. And so not only did you get the joy of being on stage with Shania Twain, but then you also actually got to find out the gender of your baby in front of a packed house. Yeah, it was it was crazy. When I was introducing myself and I mentioned where I was from, there was a lot of loud cheers in the audience. So I was thinking there might be more Newfoundlanders there than just myself and my mom. Um, it was, everyone was pretty excited, and so many people were happy to celebrate the moment with me. At leaving the concert after I got down off stage, so many people uh, shared that it warmed their hearts, and they enjoyed it, and were so happy that they could be there to be a part of it too. Just complete strangers, it was oh, like just a totally overwhelming feeling of happiness and excitement. Not just for me, but it seems like everyone sort of joined in on that feeling. So Haley. Um... Thank you so much for sharing this story. Uh, it's a really heartwarming one. Uh, when are you due? Thank you. I'm due in January, January 1st, so New Year's baby, perhaps. And I guess, I, mean, I, I don't want to presume, but I guess uh, maybe a middle name of Shania? <laughs> this is definitely a popular question. We'll have to see. Maybe. You never know. Well, Haley, thank you so much for taking the time today to share uh, this story. I know that it has brought smiles to a lot of people's faces uh, since, the, since the clip uh, started to make its way around. So congratulations again, and uh, best of luck. Thank you so much. Have a great day. 
there you have it. Now, isn't that a sweet story? Um, again, uh, Haley Gregory of Branch got to go on stage with Shania Twain where she did her gender reveal for her. And by the way, it is a girl. Uh, so congratulations again. Go out to Haley. Uh, fantastic mo- news and such a great story that is really it's been shared so widely on social media. Um, one more thing to maybe bring a smile to your face today that um, I, I, I saw on social media the other day. And actually, I tweeted out the video. Um, it's really sweet. Uh, Mobile High, Mobile High um, out in Central tweeted out a video of a special goodbye that they gave to uh, a student who uh, is graduating. Um, and they did the whole receiving line. So they had students out in the hallway. They were clapping. They were cheering for him. And the look on this young man's face, uh, it really warmed my heart when I saw this video yesterday. He was going down the hall. He was, uh, you know, giving high fives. And he was, uh, you know, gave one guy a really big hug. And he was jumping up and down. He was so excited for the special farewell uh, that this high school had given him. And it was such a sweet moment. Uh, Here's a little bit of audio from that uh, to hopefully send us to news with a smile. Now, ain't that just the sweetest thing? And uh, I did tweet out that video, by the way, on uh, my uh, Twitter account. So if you want to, you can go on there and you can have a look at that and hopefully bring a smile to you uh, on this Monday afternoon. All right, we're up to news time with Noah Shepard. We'll be back in a flash. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. OCM. And welcome back to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. And now we're going to have a look at the war between Russia and Ukraine. And there was an attempted military coup in Moscow over the weekend involving the Wagner Mercenary Group. The group was headed toward Moscow, but as troops were deployed to defend against them, the Wagner Group backed off. World leaders, including Justin Trudeau, have since come out to reaffirm that the West has had nothing to do with the attempted uprising, and this is solely an internal affair for Russia. Lake Melville and MHA Perry Trimper has spent a lot of time in Russia over the years working. I reached him earlier today for his perspective on this weekend's events. Perry, uh, you've lived over in Russia. Um, so w- just first off, what is your reaction to what we saw over the weekend with this attempted military coup uh, in Moscow? I guess like the rest of the world, uh, it, you know, events were unfolding so fast and, and so dramatic and so uh, bizarre when you think about it that a a mercenary uh, closely aligned with with Mr. Putin uh, could be so powerful as to stage this uh, whatever that was attempted to, certainly a threat of his authority and certainly a threat of the military uh, direction with up to some twenty five thousand troops and equipment and so on. It's uh, you know how does that even happen? So what what implications could this have? Well, I think like the rest of the world, certainly those that are, are supporting Ukraine, um, it's 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 clearly an indication 
that there are large factions. I mean, something of that that robust uh, a statement uh, threatening, frankly, the uh, the power that Putin has could manifest itself so quickly and 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 move uh, as it did towards the capital in a very threatening way. That that is just you know I I think many of us are are, are hoping for uh, you know an overturn of power. Uh, I know politicians. It's it's not appropriate to say, uh, you know, direct um, the uh, the population of a of a nation to turn on their leader. Uh, however, I feel most of us uh, recognize the the just terrible state that Russia's in with the current state, and uh, and overthrow a power, and hopefully one of more sensibility would be would be welcome. Unfortunately, uh, the gentleman leading this. Has in a as just as horrific and horrendous a past as as Mr. Putin. They they've known each other a long time. Uh, if you do any kind of search or check out uh, the the recent um, store news stories that are coming out and, and following uh, Prigozhin, you can see you know he spent a lot of time in jail. He's wanted by the FBI on electoral um, electoral interference in in two elections in the United States. Uh, just all kinds of shady companies. He's known as an oligarch, very powerful business person. Um, so, you know, often I think people use the analogy, is the enemy of my enemy a friend? And I would say in this case, uh, probably not. But it just, again, shows the unstable nature that is in Russia right now. Uh, and this is what has leashed itself against Ukraine in the, in the spirit of trying to regain some long-lost glory. Do you think this could be a sign of things to come? Could we see more uh, uprisings like this? I was really hopeful um, in late February when uh, so many thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps it was in the hundreds of thousands of Russian citizens uh, took to the streets with the escalation of the war in, in 24, on the 24th of February last year. And I was really hopeful that that, that that could carry on. It was squashed, and it was squashed rather aggressively. Um, very few media there to report what actually happened. I, I shudder to think about uh, so many folks who may have been leading that, uh, that public uh, demonstration. Um, so, you know, you know, since that time, it's been relatively quiet as far as we know, until suddenly this Wagner group um, it turned its uh, attention on, uh, on Putin's uh, grip on power. So it, it brought back some, uh, some hope. Um, I, I, I do believe it, it reinforces a lot of our uh, um, different government's intelligence that uh, it is unstable. And Putin is probably um, his uh, his grip on power is being questioned. Uh, he he long ago said that you know this war this uh, this activity that he's going on with in, in Ukraine uh, could be addressed rather quickly. Uh, the war is dragging on. The West is getting more and more involved. Uh, we're getting closer to a stalemate, and I would suspect that the support for Putin is at least being questioned. What we saw a couple of days ago was how publicly that could occur. How long did you live in Russia, Perry? I, I worked there, um, properly stead, stated. I was there from 1990 to 2004, and I worked for an environmental consulting company. We, we were back and forth. I, I spent about a third of the year there each year. And I worked in Ukraine and in Russia, and uh, we guided Canadian business people. That was sort of the last big job I was doing for the uh, for the UN and for CETA and the World Bank and different entities like this, it was very exciting work. It was great work, and there was a lot of hope and promise for democratic reforms. 
unfortunately, things started to change. Well, first of all, it was a very unstable place under Yeltsin's regime. I started there with Gorbachev and watched the Soviet Union fall apart. And then along came Yeltsin, and there was great hope there for um, for uh, you know a huge country filled with resources and, and a high standard of education, and, and perhaps now an ally. Uh, but uh, the world of oligarchs formed, and these business people went in and grabbed large companies and entities and resource extraction uh, components of the former Soviet Union, and these folks became very powerful and very shady. And so then Yeltsin was eventually forced out, and after a couple of shifts in power, uh, Putin got in there in 1999. And I think the West, I know myself personally, at first we thought this would be a good thing because it was such a diverse country, such a massive country we were hoping for, we recognize the importance of a, saw, a strong centrist government, which under Yeltsin did not happen. It, it disintegrated into 89 runaway children, if you like. Um, but under Putin, we thought at first that it would it would be stable and secure. And in fact, it, it, it went way in the opposite direction. Uh, it felt very much like a dictatorship. And, and we, we closed down our office in Moscow and our partnership that we had in one of the republics. And said goodbye to a lot of friends that, that we had worked with for some 14 years. So I continue to keep in touch with them. Uh, it's it's very sad. We're, we're very uh, devastated with the news each day, and uh, we, we can only pray for some uh, some resolution to this. First of all, i got to stop shooting each, each, at each other. Are you hearing from people over in, who live over in Russia, and, and what are they telling you? I was at first, um, it, and now um, it's, it's essentially very little uh, communication. And I, I haven't been reaching out because I'm a, I'm, I just don't think it's it's a good thing for them to be expressing their emotions through social media. Um, some Russians that I know who no longer live in Canada, uh, that no longer live in Russia, that live in Canada now, um, some of them we have, let me just say, differences of opinion as to what's happening there and the justification for this conflict. It's, it's, it's very surprising and disappointing. So uh, a lot, a lot of mixed emotions, but I can, speaking for myself personally, it, it just, it's, it's a real shame that the West I felt uh, responded as best we could when the Soviet Union collapsed and we moved to establish, you know, values that Canada, for example, you know, uh, supporting women in leadership positions, democratic democratic institutions, sustainable development, environmental protection, all these values we work so hard at. And uh, and now we we just uh, shudder at uh, what's going on. And it's, it's it's really amazing how essentially one man can uh, can manipulate and control and influence such a large, massive country as Russia. And uh, we'll lose on establishing this historic uh, rec- reconnection of uh, Ukraine needing to be part of Russia again. It's uh, it's really quite remarkable. Perry Trimper, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ricky. Take care. And again, that was Lake Melville MHA Perry Trimper, who uh, spent a lot of time in Russia over the years working over there for his thoughts on uh, the developments in Russia, uh, specifically in Moscow over the weekend. Uh, Keeping the show moving along now, uh, it's an exciting summer that is shaping up with uh, lots of shows coming up in Gander for the homegrown version of Come From Away. Previews of the show start running in just under two weeks from July 7th to the 21st, while the full shows run from July 22nd to September. 
September 3rd. For an update on how things are going, I speak now with your director, Jillian Kiley. We're, we're getting really close now. The shows have been sold out uh, for months. The hotels in Gander have been filled up. How are preparations going uh, for the big summer of shows for Come From Away in Gander? You know, it's going really great. We just did, uh, we did two weeks of rehearsal here in St. John's, and the cast is absolutely spectacular. They're here from all over the world. We wanted to recreate the sense of people coming in from all over, so we have people from the States, people from England here, just like uh, the characters in the show. Um, and uh, we're, we had a run-through yesterday of, um, of the whole thing, and it was just, Spectacular, I have to say. It was one of the best early run-throughs I've ever seen. The cast uh, really nailed it. They're just they're just such a good, good, well-cast uh, group of people. I mean, you can only imagine Peter Halley as the mayor. He's perfection. And everybody else is in that category, too. So what is the feeling right now among the cast and the crew as, as you prepare uh, for this big summer? You know, I think everybody's just very excited. I think uh, I think we are, you know, holding steady. We know that there's a lot of work to do, um, a lot of work to do, but it's really, uh, it's good work, and we feel uh, confident, I think, right now. We feel confident that we're going to be able to deliver a really, really good show in the end. So what were some of the challenges? Because this is, um, as was said, a homegrown version of Come From Away in Gander. So what were some, were some of the challenges in uh, preparing this show? You know, uh, the Arts and Culture Center in Gander, it's got a great staff, great crew. It's one of the most beautiful arts and culture centers, absolutely one of the best uh, arts and culture centers in, in the province. Um, and the way this, uh, it's laid out is beautiful, it, but it's never produced a big, um, a big musical like this before. So the biggest challenge probably so far has been trying to outfit uh, the center to, um, to have all of the, uh, the gear and um, all of the uh, training and everything that has to go on for people to... Uh, to be able to pull off a show of this size. But you know, I have to say, everybody has been so good and uh, the arts and culture centers have invested in making this, um, this show really work. So uh, I feel really lucky and, and I feel like we're gonna, again, like we're gonna be able to deliver the show uh, that we wanna deliver because you know, we've got, a big, we've got big shoes to fill to come up with a show that's going to be something that people remember seeing the success of the other one is so good so we want to be able to show something to keep that show in its best colors and, and I think we're going to be able to do it so now this has created quite a buzz in the community uh, as I mentioned off the top hotels in Gander have been sold out for months this show mm -hmm. um, has been sold out for months were you expecting this kind of buzz uh, maybe. I'm not sure. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that people would travel here to see it, um, but that seems to be what's happening. A lot of people from all over the world are coming to see it. You know, the show is so good. The, the musical itself is so good and so strong that um, we have, we have uh, the, the, um, the reputation of the show, but also there are super fans of this show who travel around the world to see it. They, they just, 
see this show as, you know, part of their lot and have the original uh, place in the in the show and being able to talk about the Legion and then go to the Legion for beer. I mean, I think super fans of the show are coming to see that and to be a part of the, the wave that that is. And, uh, and they're really excited about it. And obviously it's created a huge uh, movement. <laughs> so, so I hope that it just, um, I hope that it keeps on going. You know, my, my hope would be to see more of it, but, um, but we'll start off this year anyway with, with something really good. And I hope that'll continue the great reputation of the show. Excellent. Jillian Kylie, uh, an exciting summer of things ahead. Best of luck to you and the rest of the cast and crew and putting this off. And uh, hope to hear of more great things to come. Thank you for this. Thank you, sir. An exciting summer, no doubt, in Gander this year. Uh, with that, again, that homegrown production of Come From Away. we got to go to our final break of the day here now on News Talk. But when we come back, uh, we're going to check in with the Gander Weather Office because the weather has been the big topic of conversation the last couple of days. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Well, one of the big uh, topics of conversation around the province the last little while has been the weather. Um, here in Metro, of course, it was just the awful <laughs> and there's no other way to put it just the awful june uh and may uh you know with, with all the rain the drizzle the fog and barely any sun and well we finally got a taste of summer over the weekend it was absolutely gorgeous the sun was shining for most of it uh beautiful warm temperatures um you know and but as you move across the island uh, you know to areas where they've been having the warm temperatures for a while now like up in labrador the west coast uh some of the issues now are going to the wildfires, whether that be uh, the smoke coming in from Quebec and their wildfires, um, or also the risk of forest fires, especially up in Labrador right now. We were looking at the forest fire index a little while ago and uh, there is a heightened risk in, in many areas of Labrador, particularly as you go on the uh, on the coast. Um, there are areas there that are of high risk right now for forest fires. Um, so I spoke earlier today with uh, David Neal of the Gander Weather Office uh, to get a sense of what's going on uh, in terms of how the weather is going to rebound in the east and uh, to an update on the fires, uh, fire conditions uh, um, on the west end up in Labrador. And as well, we're going to get an update on the potential for the Canada Day forecast. Quite a difference today from the last couple of days. Uh, the week when, weekend was extremely hot and a little bit humid, at least here in the metro region. But today, things have dipped down quite a bit, and even more so tonight with that uh, frost advisory that is in effect. Uh, give us the details on what people can expect. Uh, yeah, like as you mentioned, uh, we had uh, a system that went through on Sunday, brought in uh, 
uh, some more uh, uh, cooler northerly uh, northerly winds across uh, many areas of the island. So yeah, certainly saw a bit of a drop off in temperature there for sure over the last day or so. But what we're uh, what we're going to see uh, uh, tonight is um, uh, area high pressure moving in. Uh, going to have clear skies, generally light winds. So with that, um, we expect uh, temperatures to uh, to drop uh, uh, over parts of uh, eastern and northeastern Newfoundlands. We do have frost advisories out for uh, several regions across uh, from uh, from the northeast Avalon on up to the uh, to parts of the northeast coast and then a few areas in central. Uh, so areas that are lower lying, uh, expecting temperatures to get down, low, overnight low temperatures to get down around plus one or so. So it could see uh, some patchy frost. So um, have those advisories out for uh, for tonight uh, into early uh, early in the morning on Tuesday. And how are things looking for the rest of uh, the week? Are things going to rebound? Uh, we should start to see uh, temperatures gradually starting to come back up again through the week. Uh, so, a, you know, a little bit warmer tomorrow, a little warmer than that Wednesday, and, and then warmer into Thursday. So we are going to see uh, a bit of a rebound in temperatures. Um, with that, we do uh, um, we are looking at another system that's going to uh, bring in a few a few showers across most of the island starting sometime tomorrow or tomorrow night. Um, not looking at too too much in terms of amount with that, but uh, certainly some uh, off and on showers that uh, could linger into uh, in the Wednesday over uh, over a few areas. So um, not expecting things to stay completely dry or, or, or uh, super super nice, but I mean there'll be uh, there'll certainly be some breaks in in the uh, in the showers and the, to get uh, to get some sun as well. So some warmer temperatures and some nicer conditions on the on the horizon. And speaking of showers, I know one area of the province that might be hoping for a, a little bit of rain is in Labrador. We were just looking at the forest fire index, um, and many areas of Labrador uh, have a rating of high, and a couple of areas have an extreme uh, rating in effect. Uh, what's in store for Labrador? Can they expect to see uh, a little bit of relief and a little, little bit of rain uh, in the forecast? Well, luckily, uh, yes, with that system that is coming up, the one I mentioned is going to bring some showers in Newfoundland. It's also going to bring some uh, some rain into parts of Labrador, looking uh, in, moving into western Labrador uh, to, tomorrow, and then uh, really across the remainder of the region, either into tomorrow night or possibly earlier in the day, uh, sometime in the day on Wednesday. Uh, so, yeah, going to see uh, some, some rain there right now. In terms of total amount, still a little uncertain as to where the, the high, heavier uh, pockets of rain are going to set up. Uh, but there are some indications that uh, parts of western and, and northern Labrador uh, could see some, some decent accumulations, not not necessarily quite to the level of being in rainfall warning territory, but certainly uh, some accumulation of rain that should uh, help bring some relief to uh, to the dry conditions that are there. And speaking of Labrador West um, and, and many parts of Labrador and the West Coast, uh, one of the issues that they've been battling over the last couple of days has been uh, the issue of smoke from the uh, wildfires in Quebec. Um, how will the weather be impacting that? Can they expect to see some relief from that or will wind conditions bring even more of that smoke towards? Uh, now, in the immediate term, um, for, for, for most of Labrador, things should be okay. Now, there are some indications uh, that uh, could see a, a little bit of a lighter, um, kind of lighter concentrations of smoke moving up over to Labrador City area, uh, uh, possibly later today into tonight. Uh, so, again, probably not going to be quite, is not going to be to the level that we saw 
late last week and into uh, into part of the weekend, but uh, still could be some some hazy skies there uh, later today into tonight in the Labrador City Wabush area. But after that, uh, with that uh, with that rain coming in, uh, that should uh, should uh, temper things uh, quite a bit. Uh, as it stands right now, it doesn't look like uh, t- too too. Uh, too much uh, after that. Now, it could still see some areas that could still see a little bit of smoke there, but uh, certainly uh, it looks like in, in terms of uh, in terms of what we saw late last week, uh, we, it, it doesn't look like we're going to quite see that level of, uh, of smoke uh, getting into into that area. And David, finally, um, it's, it may only be Monday, but a lot of people's minds and eyes are looking towards the long weekend that's coming up. Uh, how's the candidate forecast shaping up? I know it's still a few days out. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Still, uh, still got a little ways to go as, uh, uh, for that one, but, uh, kind of looks right now, kind of looks like depends on where you are on the Island. Uh, some indications that a few, a few areas could see, uh, some, some showery conditions off and on throughout the weekend. Um, parts of, uh, Eastern Newfoundland may not, uh, may not necessarily see that. So, uh, at this, at this stage right now, a few, a few areas, particularly in Western Newfoundland could see things a little bit shower, more showery than, uh, uh, than, than Eastern areas. But, uh, uh as as you mentioned, uh, it's uh, still a little ways out, so uh, certainly something to uh, to keep an eye on, especially as we get more into the middle middle to later part of the week, to see kind of how uh, how things are shaping up for uh, for Canada Day weekend. And there you have it. That was David Neal of the Gander Weather Office. Uh, we are all out of time on today's edition of News Talk. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Claudette for producing the show. And Brian Callahan will be in for the rest of the week as Linda is off on vacation. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll talk soon. Have a great day.